Welcome back, Houston. These guys missed you over the last break. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Blank and Branham, Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Uh, some tough news for the – we haven't talked about the Astros here in a little while, which, I mean, it's January 16th. We'll talk about them, the pitchers and catchers report. We'll do the countdowns. We'll do all that stuff. We weren't talking too much about the Texans whenever the Astros were in the playoffs, so now the table has flipped. Um, Kendall Graveman is not going to pitch in 2004. Astros announced that he had right shoulder surgery. It was on the labrum, so that's 12 months minimum. Um, this is something we discussed whenever he was left off the playoff roster. I know that you and I talk about this a lot, and you you know, you know, pitched, so you know this better than anybody. You start th- talking about throwing elbow and throwing shoulder, like sound off the alarm. Yeah. This seemed like it was a ticking time bomb, and this, feel- this feels like it was you know, destined to happen, that it was inevitable. Yeah, no doubt about it, Jeremy, and I think you need to look no further than a guy like Lance McCullers who has gone through you know, bo- all kinds, a plethora of different things, with an arm, it doesn't mean how, no matter how special your arm talent is, sometimes it steamrolls too, but you got to be hyper careful. And this was a guy that, is, as much as he had success over his course of the Astros' career, we knew he wasn't his best last year. Maybe this was why, but the fact that you're not counting on him, now it's just even more important that you try and figure out what you're going to do with your bullpen because you know the back back end when you got Abreu and when you got Presley is really good. But you had Neris a year ago. You had some guys like the, the first half that Maton put together. You know that you had you know guys that in the past kept it a low ERA and were able to pick up innings for you like Stanek, and he's gone. So you know you don't, that they probably don't want to spend a boatload of money but you also know that now, instead of maybe one veteran reliever, they might want to go get two veteran relievers to try and, and do something to make sure it's more solidified. That seventh spot for seven, eight, nine, more for no matter what. But instead of trying to fulfill everything internally, because I, you know I've been a staunch supporter of bringing back Neris. I'm afraid that the price might be too high. I like that time has passed, and maybe you know even with a guy like Hicks that the Astros were interested on. Now the Giants sign him, and now they say they want to make him a starter. That's their that's their problem, but he got Montero type money. That was worrisome. I hope as more time passes, if Neris is still out there, I hope and he liked it here. I hope this means there's a better chance that maybe you can bring him back for that role of the seventh inning because he was so good last year. Yeah, to me, this is more of a this hurts you more with depth than anything else because right now Graveman was going to be your either sixth or seventh inning guy. Like Montero, Graveman were going to be lined up to be your sixth, seventh inning guy. And Graveman was, like, fine last year. I mean, his ERA on the year was 312. He was better with you than he was with Chicago. He's been a good reliever. So, I mean, it's a blow uh, for sure. But the, the depth is what really hurts you. Because if the season were to start right now, and assuming that you get through the entire spring training with a clean bill of health, which – quite frankly, doesn't happen a lot. Like, I mean, injuries happen. Uh, As we know, injuries happen in spring training. But if you were to get through spring training without another injury, your bullpen right now, there are four known names. Presley's your closer. Abreu's your eighth inning guy, which I would put that up with against anybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, I still think that that's good. And then Montero would be, I I guess, your seventh inning guy because everybody else is an unknown. And then if you don't use a six-man rotation, either J.P. France or Jose Arquiti would be your long guy. Either they're your sixth starter or they're your long guy. So you have four names in your your bullpen. Presley, Abreu, Montero, and then either France or Arquiti. The other four spots are up for grabs. And, and yeah, I hope they go out and sign a reliever. Uh, Neris kind of depends on the price. Had a really good year 
this past year. His career number is not as good as 2023. Your contenders right now on the 40-man rosters are names like Brandon B. Uh, Brandon Belak, Renell Blanco, Coleman, who you traded for, Cronin, who I think was a waiver wire pickup, Sean Dubin, who's come up through your system, uh, Gage, Seth Martinez, Parker Mashinsky, Ortega, uh, the Souza guy, Forrest Whitley. That's not great. Like no, that it's that not. that is enough to alarm you. That is enough to like because the Astros have been built like maybe not built with their bullpen, but their bullpen's been a strength. Like the last few years your runs through the playoffs, your runs to the ALCS and getting a game within a game of the World Series last year. The previous year winning the World Series in large part was because your bullpen was a strength and outside of the 8th and ninth inning, it's a complete crapshoot. No, it really is. And when you think about trying to count on Forrest Whitley with everything you've been through. I think Sousa's of the guys you named. Sousa's a guy that, you know, he wasn't eligible for the playoff roster, but he showed you at least something to where it would have been great if you were thinking about, hey, there, there's a guy situationally that you can bring into a game that can help you. But if you're thinking that's going to be a chance to be your sixth inning guy or another guy that can be plugged into the seventh inning when you need him type of guy, that's a different situation to start fighting through. Belak, please don't scare me like that. You know, Mashinsky, obviously you know how I feel about him all last year. That's why as much as you don't, you know, Jim Crane and everybody with the tax and, and, and being so concerned about it, but when you see this, these situations happen and you knew Graveman wasn't right, you just didn't know that it was going to be something like this, I hope that now they that, that there's at least a meeting of the minds to say, yeah, we're going to have to spend a little more maybe. Yeah. But you have to because of how valuable it is to how good this team can be. I would be stunned if they signed two middle relievers. Uh, I agree with you that I want them to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like we just rattled off the names of guys that are competing, not, not for one spot, not for two spots, not for three spots, four spots. Four of Belag, Blanco, Coleman, Cronin, Dubin, Gage, Martinez, Mashinsky, Ortega, Ortega Sal, uh, Souza, and Whitley. Four of those guys, if the season were to open tomorrow, would be in your major league bullpen. That is terrifying. Scary. It's very even, if scary. You only sign, even if you only sign one of those guys, three of those guys are going to be on your big league roster when the season opens. So I, I agree with you. I would love for them to sign two. I would be stunned if they do. I think that they will sign one. And Dana had some quotes to like the beat writers that uh, that they're going to be active. They're going to look for an arm, which, I mean, Dana Brown says a lot, doesn't always do a lot. Uh, I tend to agree. I, I, I felt really throughout that they're going to sign one more reliever. I feel even more so now. Now, I do think that they're waiting out the market, uh, but because now Graveman's hurt, maybe the agents of these middle relievers you're talking to have more leverage than they did before, yeah. uh, which is kind of you know scary on that front a little bit as well. Maybe a trade possibility. Maybe yeah. he, he can figure out some things because he has a surplus of starting pitching, and maybe that's something you really have to do is identify, hey, look, if there's a team out there that would like a younger starter or a starter under control for a relief pitcher that maybe they're trying to – they're, they're, they were overpaying a veteran or someone that you know that doesn't fit what their their rebuild plan looks like right now. Maybe you can find something there where one of the two veterans that you think you need you could handle without having to go out to the open market. One of the one of the things I wanted to do this offseason was trade JP France while he has some value uh, for a pretty good reliever. Uh, so maybe that's something they could kick around again because I I think you're fine with Arcidi as your fifth starter. I, I wouldn't hate if Spencer Aragetti was your sixth starter long guy. And I know that we don't trust guys coming off of injuries, but you're supposed to get Luis Garcia and Lance McCullers yeah. back in the summer. That would help out your starting pitching depth. So that I wouldn't hate that idea. In fact, I would like that idea where you're trading a, a JP France for a, a good reliever, like a seventh inning guy. Uh, Astros are a clown show. Look for Crane to sell in the next two years. We need to pray we get someone that wants to spend money and not just steal from the fans uh i feel like that's 
egregious. I feel like that's out there. Crane has routinely been in the top ten in payroll. Now, you might want top three, but to say that Crane's been like this super cheap owner is just a flat-out lie. And I, I've heard that a lot of people mention this Crane selling the team like out there. I don't see it. Like I don't either. He, he's investing a lot like in the future of the organization. We've heard like Astrosville, around the ballpark. He's bought up all those lots and stuff. It doesn't feel at all like he's an owner that's trying to sell soon. No, I, I think when you think about it, this is a guy that's that played baseball for a long period of time. Baseball's in his blood. He loves it. As much money as he's made and as much success as he's had in business, what really fuels his fire these days seems to be everything around the Houston Astros. And he's tasted winning and winning at a at a pretty good clip now for the last couple of years. And I think that he likes it. And you mentioned it. You know that when he was doing things like getting involved in the television network and, and he and Tillman getting together uh, to buy Space City Sports Network, you know that he was committing to that, just like he had committed to all the real estate around the ballpark to make it like some of the ballparks in the country that have had massive success because they turn it into an entire experience in and outside the ballpark and around the surrounding areas. A lot of football teams do it too. So you know that he is seemingly more and more with every financial move around it kind of in it for the long haul. I just don't see him selling in two years. Yeah, I don't I don't see it either. Three four zero three, he was never cheap, and they're still predicted to have the second highest win total in the AL. Look, I, I still think they're gonna be very good. But for them to like be clicking on all cylinders, for them to try to reach the pinnacle to me, you gotta you gotta make this bullpen better. Now, the argument, the counterpoint to that would be there, there's this bullpen still better than the Rangers were last year when they won the World Series. Nine five four seven, not a major concern as long as the Abreu and Presley are there for the eighth and ninth. <sighs> like, I still like a good bullpen. I still like a good bullpen. I don't want four four A players rounding out a big league bullpen for what is supposed to be a World Series contender. Plus, think about your starters and how far they were going into games. Are you expecting that most of your starters, especially you know, like guys like even Verlander, who's always had a rubber arm but coming off the surgery and things like that, yeah, he's going to want to go longer. But for the most part, your starters start petering out in the fifth, and, and, and you're lucky if you get them into the sixth inning. Look, bridging that gap between them and the back end of your bullpen is hyper important. And when you're talking about a team like this, we're not talking about Cleveland. We're not talking about teams that are just happy to be in the dance, find a way to make the playoffs, and then everything after that is just cake. When you're that close to a World Series and you know that it's just tweaks here and there, it's not like major moves that have to be made or additions that have to go and be brought in. That's what's frustrating because you know that you're not a struggling mid-market team and you know that this team is capable, even as constructed right now, it'd be more challenging, but they're capable of winning a World Series. But with just a few tweaks that aren't going to cost you like mega millions of dollar contracts, you can put this team in even better position to compete for another World Series title. Yeah, uh, I agree with everything you said. Just a counterpoint, you can trade for relievers at the deadline. You can kind of get them pretty cheap, too. So maybe that's a backup plan. You kind of wait and see for a little bit, see if anybody emerges. And then if you're still in bad shape, uh, you make that move at the deadline. Now, the problem with that is if you do that, you get too far behind, you really put yourself behind the eight ball. Uh, 8089, trade Tucker for a top closer. Okay, you're on Bad Tech Boulevard. Never want to see that again. Crankshaft and Hitchcock, if this was known issue at the end of last season, it was. It was a known issue. Remember, he wasn't on the playoff roster. Why wasn't the surgery performed at season's end? This seems to happen way too often in Major League Baseball. Well, I think that in that case, and if you read McTaggart's comments and, and some of the people that were reporting on this, but I think McTaggart's the one I was reading, that said, hey, look, 
a lot of times it's up to the, the organization and the player. And, and I think probably you saw this with McCullers too, where there, there are doctors that are going to tell you, hey, the first chance if you want to go that route instead of going surgery right away is you take some time to heal. You start your throwing program again. Eventually you work your way up to throwing and then throwing off the mound and then see where we're at. And a lot of guys obviously have issues and don't want to go under the knife unless they absolutely have to. I don't know if that was the case here, but they did try and do it without surgery. They they tried to get him to the point where you know he was going to start throwing again. He still had the discomfort. That's when the decision was made. Yeah, rest and rehab, and then he started throwing on the flag ground and still felt it. I, I don't care about Kendall Grayman's feelings towards this. Like, And again, me being a jerk, whatever. I care about him pitching for the Astros and his final year of – under contract is 2024. If he would have, even if he would have had surgery the final day of the regular season, he's toast. He's done. He's not. He's not pitching in 2024. So the fact that he waited until earlier this week, as opposed to the final day of the regular season, it still does not impact his ability to pitch for the Astros in 2024. Right. He would have missed the entire yep. year anyways. So the only way that Kendall Graveman was going to pitch in the final year of his deal with the Houston Astros was if rest and rehab worked. Now, you start talking shoulders on a throwing arm, elbows on a throwing arm, I immediately think it's a ticking time bomb and surgery is inevitable. So I kind of felt like this news was coming. Like I felt like anytime you're talking shoulders and elbows and we like you mentioned with the colors, it, it's inevitable. It's about to happen. It's going to happen sooner rather than later. Uh, and here it is. We, we finally get the news that no Kendall Graveman for the Astros in 2024, and it does make it difficult for Dana Brown trying to put together a good bullpen behind uh, Abreu and Presley. 713-780-ESPN. I don't know how you feel about this, Blankers, but I would fire Nick Sirianni before I fired Mike McCarthy. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Welcome back to the Killer Bees Nuts, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Here's Joel Blank and that Jeremy Branham guy. He's Blank on Branham. I loved every minute of that game yesterday. There might not be another football coach in America, at least in the NFL, that I dislike more than Nick Sirianni. I know that he's grown on you in a bad way. I can't stand him. He he had those tendencies previously, even like at the Super Bowl. He had like a cocky kind of arrogance to him where it was like, bro, this is your first rodeo. This is your first chance at the big dance, but you're acting like, you know, you're like Bill Belichick sometimes. But No, no. He acts like he's Billy Madison. Yeah. I mean. He acts like a child. That's true. It, it is true. I mean, it, it's just, it's really weird to say that there's a good, there's a good chance that he loses his job 11 months from coaching in a Super Bowl. But with when you start ten and one, and you look and everybody's talking about the one game that everybody still wants to see on the schedule before you win the division easily and get into the playoffs is the NFC Championship preview between you and the Niners, and then you drop what six of your last seven or whatever it was. It was embarrassing. Who was was it? Bosa on the Niners too that said we figured out the uh, the blueprint on uh, Jalen Hurts. And then they went into a tailspin the the rest of the year, which is pretty fascinating, pretty interesting. But I think that both coaches in the NFC East, the best two teams in the NFC, NFC East are the Eagles and the Cowboys, and they both got embarrassed in the uh, wild card round. Uh, the Cowboys getting hammered by the Packers, and then the Eagles getting hammered by Baker Mayfield. I think there's a case for both of these guys being fired. If it were up to me, 
I would fire Nick Sirianni way before I fired Mike McCarthy. Nick Sirianni's a child. I can't stand his antics on the sideline. Like, this is a face of your franchise, and you're supposed to be the adult in the room. You're supposed to be the leader, and you're, you're acting like Billy Madison on the sideline. Like, it's ridiculous. I would be embarrassed if I was Eagle ownership. On top of that, Nick Sirianni's never called plays. Nick Sirianni has never called plays anywhere that he's been. He, was, he had two really good coordinators last year. Say what you will about Jonathan Gannon, was a good defensive coordinator, and, and got hired as a head coach. I think Shane Steichen's a really good offensive coordinator. Mike McCarthy at least calls plays. Mm-hmm. And Mike McCarthy, like he has his playoff outstings, right? He's been a disappointment in the playoffs. Mike McCarthy, you can bank every single year for the most part that he's going to be in the postseason. And at least he calls his own plays. Like, I would fire Sirianni way before I fired Mike McCarthy. But, Jeremy, on top of that, and as much as I picked McCarthy apart, you look at this year alone, they had the number one, didn't they have the number one offense in, in the NFL? If they I'm, weren't one, they were up there. Yeah, I mean, and that's coming off a, an offense with Kellen Moore that everybody thought was one of the best offenses, and that's why Kellen Moore's name was out there for so many head coaching jobs. But when you look at what he did and how he maximized C.D. Lamb and how he got the best out of a Dak Prescott that now is being scrutinized yet again, and some of the guys that they had, you got to give McCarthy, of the two guys, more props. They won 12 games for a year for the last three seasons. The offense was top tier when he made a coaching cha- a coaching change right. by electing to move on from Kellen Moore as the Which play was call. Controversial. It was, was for himself. Yeah. On the flip side, when you look at Sirianni, he switched defensive coordinators later in the season and put Matt Patricia in there. They didn't get any better. Mm-hmm. From what you hear, he also didn't let either defensive coordinator hire the coaches that they wanted to hire to make the defense better. And oh, by the way, when you look at the defensive players and the personnel. You're you're like wow at all these different positions going. This front seven is unreal, and you added Jalen Carter, and you've got all these guys that Fletcher Cox is not playing all the time now, and he's dominant. Look at the depth. Look at the talent. And then they just kept fading. They kept getting worse defensively, and then offensively. When you look at it, yeah, Jalen Hurts had an MVP season a year ago, but you hope for their sake because they 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 loaded him up with this big contract. You hope that it's the shoulder, the knee, and the finger, and that he's going to get back to being an MVP candidate because he looked terrible last night as opposed to how good he looked on that Super Bowl run a year ago. I think they did him wrong, too, by who they hire as the offense coordinator. Like, Brian Johnson's not an NFL offense coordinator, and he made that hire. He promoted from within. Uh, you mentioned the defensive court. Matt Patricia's calling plays yep. in Philadelphia. So, like, he's responsible for that. His antics on the sideline drives me crazy. And then you mentioned the McCarthy thing, like – I understand that the the Cowboys put up a lot of numbers in the second half of that game because they were trailing by, you know, 100. But what was more of an issue in that game? Was it the offense or was it the defense? I would say it was the defense. I mean, look, it was the defense because – And Dak was bad. Green Bay punted once. all over the place. Green Bay punted once against a defense that has Micah Parsons, that has really a ton of talent in the secondary – and Aaron Jones, we talked about it going into the game. Aaron Jones was the key to stopping Green Bay. You stop Aaron Jones, you make Jordan Love have to make a lot more tough throws. And yet they couldn't put pressure on Jordan Love. He sat back there on a sofa all day. And Aaron Jones ran wild. Yep. 
Yep, I, I would. Uh, Sirianni would be getting the uh, the axe way fo- way more than Mike McCarthy for me. And I think the Eagles quit. I, I think the Eagles quit on their year. And I think that you got behind yesterday. They had like a fight for like a couple of possessions, and then Tampa Bay put them away. I think the Eagles flat out quit, and, and I think it's a representation of your head coach. So Sirianni would get the axe before McCarthy for me. What's your guess on what happens with both guys? I think they're, I think they're both going to go. I, yeah, I think they're I think, both going to stay. Uh, I think because of the fact that Jerry – Recently has had a quick trigger with guys. Jerry obviously, you know, gets hyper involved in everything that they do. And he knows, I think he felt in his heart of hearts, this was the best Cowboys team he's had in 30 years where this was a team where they really had legitimate Super Bowl aspirations to be sent home in the first game. Jerry's all about, you know, knee jerk reactions and trying to bring the next next man up. I think Jerry's going to knee jerk. I think Jerry, Jerry's going to move on and he's going to go get someone. And I think Belichick's the wrong guy. I think Joe and I were talking about this before the show. When you, you think about what a guy like Ben Johnson's been able to do with a guy like Goff that got the money, but people were questioning, does he really have the, the, the talent to be a top-tier quarterback? Well, Ben Johnson just made sure that the guys around him and the system that he ran maximized everything and kind of minimized how much a quarterback has to do. Ben Johnson with Dak Prescott, C.D. Lamb, and some of the other pieces that they have, mm-hmm. he could do a lot. But Dak, I think that I mean, Dak and C.D. did a lot with McCarthy, though. They did. But I, I'm just saying, if you want that kind of new, that new up and coming coach, but you, you know Quinn supposedly was going to be the the the, the odds on favorite to get the Seattle job. I don't know if he still is because yeah. that as good as they were all year, that was embarrassing for a guy that's supposed to be able to make adjustments. That's been there, done that as a DC, and has also got head coaching experience. Yeah. I think from a Philadelphia standpoint, it's it's like 11 months short uh, removed from being in the Super Bowl. Do you hammer him too? But when you looked at Lurie's face last night, when you looked at the the body language, like you were talking about, there was a ton of quit all over the field. Like yeah. you had Kelsey shaking his head multiple times, like "What are we doing? What is going on?" And everybody seemed like, as much as they maybe didn't vocalize it in interviews, they were already ready to start pointing fingers. And 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 when you did hear the comments, guys weren't standing up for Sirianni. Jalen Hurts wasn't standing up for standing up for Sirianni. Uh, their offensive line, Johnson and those guys, they weren't standing up for Sirianni. I think it tells you all you need to know in a, in a, in a city that's hyper-passionate about how the image of their team looks. I think Philly already is done with Sirianni, and I think that both guys are going to get it. I think they're going to. I think both owners are going to keep their their coaches. Uh, I think that Jerry's going to keep McCarthy. And this texture points out like pretty good, pretty good point. Uh, first year McCarthy calling plays. Dak was in the MVP race for three fourths of the season. Uh, tell me when Dak has ever looked like this before. I'll wait. He hasn't. Uh, Dak played really and good. CD this year. broke all kinds of records. Yeah, I, I think that ultimately they stick with McCarthy. Uh, it's just a hunch I have, and okay. I I think that Philly because they were in the Super Bowl last year, they're going to give Sirianni one more year with uh one more year with the opportunity of hiring his own cor- or hiring different coordinators. And the decision might be taken out of his hands too. He might not be able to hire the coordinators, but he's going to get another year with coordinators. And I think it's a mistake. I think it's a mistake. I would fire Sirianni right away. I feel like McCarthy deserves another year because like his side of the ball was pretty good. I don't feel like the reason they lost with the Packers is because it was they they quit on McCarthy. I just feel like they got exposed a bit in that game. Bad defense, Love played well, and then Dak threw some interceptions early that just kind of ended that game. Don't you feel, though, Jeremy, between the two, the body language was we quit in Philly. The body language, starting with Dak, looked more fearful, yeah. more scared. Yeah. Dak looked like a deer in the headlights that kept trying to fit, look for answers where there wasn't any. Right. 
and, and Philly looked like they were ready to go on vacation. Yeah, like Dallas didn't seem like a team that was quitting on their coach, where Philly definitely looked like Look at the final game. score. They kept yeah, clawing and scratching trying to do something. They were fighting. one three one three. Glad to be listening to the show today. The Eagles' ship sank fast this year. Uh, thanks for pointing out the uh, the bozo, the clown flaws and needs to get out of there. He's talking about Sirianni. Mm-hmm. I just hate his demeanor. Like, I hate the antics. Like, you're, you're in a position of being a head coach in the NFL – and you're sitting there like yelling at fans. You're jumping on the bench, yelling at fans in Indy. You're yelling the, at the Arrowhead fans. You're um, like the, the Super Bowl you mentioned when, like during that challenge, he's looking over there, like he's running around. Didn't he like? Didn't he like grope himself once? Like he's weird. Like how do you have that guy as a head coach of your NFL football team? It's ridiculous. Yeah, the Indy thing where he said he was yeah. standing up for Frank Reich, but he went way too far was where it really all became too much to me. And then he just, you know, but he's always been that guy. It's one thing to be that guy when your team's on top of the world fighting for a Super Bowl and and then they're 10 and 1 to start the season. But it, you're going to wear out your welcome a lot quicker when you keep trying to do that crap and you and you keep ending up in the toilet bowl not the Super Bowl. 1313 McCarthy stays but if he doesn't win the big dance next year he's gone. Um, <laughs> he's yeah. not coming back on the final year of his deal, though. I, I mean, does he still have multiple years? He's got sure one year left on his deal, so I, I think well, I think he would. I, I, I mean, he the Cowboys kind of like what's he going to do? He's going to say see ya. Well, no, but lame duck year. I'm just saying he's going to. You know, he's going to be looking extension. But but if they're not going to give him one, he's not going to say see ya. No, he's got to do it. But it's just it's not very common anymore that that you let coaches go into the the lame no, duck season like no, D'Antonio. Yeah, you're right. It's not common, but it's not as bad as like a college coach because like now you can't recruit and stuff like that. Right. Uh, I I think I think he coaches the lame duck. I don't think he has a choice, and I think I think they keep him around one more year. I would love for Belichick to end up in Philly. I think that'd be the perfect spot. I think Joe and I were talking before the show. I think Vrabel's perfect in Philly. That's a good call. Uh, Yeah, yeah. You might have talked me into it. Yeah, I I just think he's a he's a younger kind of Belichick mentality, but he's not the dominating. I gotta have total control. Eh. I mean, look, I think that he had issues with his GM in Tennessee, but and he's going to want to say so, but I don't think he's going to be like the total control, Parcells, Belichick mold yeah. that, that a lot of old school guys are. I think you're right. I think they are very, very much like the same guy, but Vrabel's younger. Uh, seven, I think he's actually better connected nowadays, too, because I think Belichick kind of – I'm not going to say the game passed him by. I just don't think he has the relationships that Vrabel does. Vrabel gets his guy back, A.J. Brown. That'd be interesting, yeah. assuming that he wants to stay in Philly. Basically, you're right about that. I mean, there's something that's got to be fixed first and foremost, too, no matter what they do. I wonder if he'll. I wonder if Rabel gets a job though if he brings Arthur Smith with him to be his his OC. Oh, Smith, I, I could easily see that. Yeah, which I don't love that offense though. Like, but it might be good for Jalen Hurts. It what? might be a good offense for Hurts. Yeah, because I, I think it's more of a run first offense, and I think that's a better offense for Hurts. Run first is definitely better for Hurts, but you have to give Steichen even more flowers now mm-hmm. for just how good. He now look even better. He looks now based on this debacle this year with what he did with Jalen a year ago. No question. All right, seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. The HRMP listener line. Cash them or trash them. What are your hot takes? What are your overreactions that you want us to cash or trash? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five. Prepare for overreaction on my mark. It's that time of the week where overreactions are not only welcome. They're celebrated. They say Muhammad Ali was the greatest of all time, but he never fought Cassius Clay. It's Cashem or Trashem with the Killer Bees. This is your hot take. Hmm. Give us a hot spoonful of your opinion. 
He's blank. I'm Branham. Let's cash him or trash him. 713-780-3776. What are you cashing? What are you trashing? Blankers, what you got? I think the first one to me is after an, another embarrassing loss last night, the Golden State Warriors finally put an end to the dynasty run in their big three and trade one or more of Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. I hadn't been paying attention too much to the Warriors, so this was this one's a little difficult for me. I'm going to trash this though. I don't think that they trade. You say one or more? One trash. or more? Yep. Oh, huh. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to trash it. Trash. I think they would like to. I just don't think they're going to get the value back for them that they would like. Like, who's trading for Draymond Green? Ooh, I uh, think the Lakers would love to have him. I don't know, man. Like, what are they giving for him? Well, I mean, I think that's a different story. I, no, it's not. Like you're talking about trading these guys. Like it's it's that's that's very much the conversation. No, the different story is the Lakers would love to have them, but they don't have a lot of the resources that some other teams so might have. To trade for them. I think they're going to try. Yeah, they'll probably try. I, I don't think that they do. I, I think that the I think they would like to. I think they're going to get a dose of reality that the value is not going to be there in return, and that they're going to be stuck with them. I think they're more likely to trade Chris Paul. Oh, they're definitely going to trade Paul, and I've heard they're shopping Wiggins. Yeah, I think that they I think they keep the big three together. Although right now it's not really so much the big three. Joe, what do you think? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna cash it. I think that they find a way to take Andrew Wiggins and maybe maybe it's Draymond, maybe it's Chris Paul, and, and send them to Toronto for Pascal Siakam. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad. Joe Blankers, who, if if they trade one of the big three, yeah. which of the three do you think is more likely to be traded? Ooh, I, I mean, it's either Clay or Draymond. Oh, uh, there's no doubt. I, 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 I Steph's going to be like Altuve here. Steph's not going yeah. anywhere. Uh, I think that, I think that to me, Draymond's antics have run its course. It run is it run, and I think that if they could find a home for Draymond, I think the market will be more attractive for Clay Thompson. Yeah, I think I, I, Daryl has long been enamored with Clay Thompson. If, if Daryl and Philly decided to go get some more help for those guys, but I think that Draymond would be the guy that they would most likely want to move. It's a big contract for anybody to trade for. It is. Like, but he's if got the if issues. He's Draymond. He's bipolar. He's got a massive contract. Like, why would you want to trade for that? I if think you're Clay a team would be desperately answer. in need of, like, leadership. That's the guy? I, I Well, I, I think he does a lot. Again, he's going to only always get scrutinized for what we see. But I think there's a lot of people in this league that will tell you, like, behind the scenes, the locker room, the kind of coach on the floor kind of thing. He, he, he doesn't get his n- enough credit for that. Yeah. He punched a teammate in the face. Yeah. Well, that oh, was I think the guy. The team, I, I think I'm going to be honest with you. That's the guy that deserved it. <laughs> I, think, I, think I would, I would like agree. to punch Jordan Poole in the face. I'm <laughs> yes. not going to lie. I would yeah. love to punch that guy yeah. in the face for what he did to me. That guy did more to me than most people ever have. Fair. I mean, when you punch talk to right people around the eyes. league, like he, <laughs> once he got the contract, kind of had it coming to him. Draymond just decided to be the guy. Yeah. Uh, Connor Orr, Casher Trash this. He's from CBS. Says the Dolphins are too good for Tua to be their quarterback. Casher Trash. I'm starting to not believe in Tua as much. I know that I saw a press conference today with the GM and McDaniel where they said they've had conversations already and they, they've had dialogue with Tua and his agent and they yeah. they like what he brings. I was trying to think, like, who? what's your, what's your alternative? Kirk Cousins. Is Kirk Cousins better for the Dolphins than Tua? I think he's a better uh, he's a better thrower of the football, and you got weapons all over the field, think, so he can distribute better. Now, for one year, I would say Kirk. I would say for the next three years, Tua, though. So I think it's they're like, going to stick with Tua. Yeah, but I mean, he's more. If you're talking short term, if you're talking one season, I think Kirk gives the uh, the Dolphins a better chance to win next year than Tua does. Kirk's got a little of that that Lamar and James Harden too, in terms of his playoffs. If that's what they're trying to do. 
Better than Tua's, though. Uh, yeah, it's true. I, 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 I just feel like Tua is McDaniel's. Li- I think for some reason he likes him too. I think, I think Tua's a better fit. So are the Dolphins too good for Tua to be their quarterback? Cash or trash? I'll cash it though. As a roster, I'll cash the offense. Yeah, I'm cashing this as well. Joe, same cash. Yeah, but I, I agree with you, Blankers. The alternative is tough because, yep. like, like moving on from Tua is going to take some work. Trying to beat out teams that want to sign Kirk because I think he will be in demand because uh, he's going to be the best for quarterback on the market, even coming off of injury. That's going to be a challenge too. So I do think they stick with Tua, and I think it's going to forever be their hindrance of why they can't get it over the top. Uh, Joe, I don't ever do this, but I totally just blanked on mine. Uh, cash or trash. Michigan is going to have the hardest time replacing their coach of Washington and Alabama. Trash, because Harbaugh's not going anywhere. Ooh, Trash. Ooh. Really? You don't think he's going to take the Chargers job? No. You don't think, think he's he... going to take the Eagles job? Nope. What about the I Cowboys don't think the, job? I don't, one, I've been hot. I've, been, I've not wavered off of this stance at all. I don't think the NFL wants Jim Harbaugh. Secondly... I think Jim Harbaugh puts his name out in the NFL circles a lot to try to get back in the NFL, even though he's not wanted. And then thirdly, I think he's doing that to get a sweetheart deal at Michigan that's going to pay him upwards of $12, $13 million, and he's going to get every incentive incentive known to man. I think he stays at Michigan. I think, so, he, I think the Chargers are going to be his only opportunity. I think that more and more, and when you hear Max Crosby say, if Pierce isn't the guy, then trade me. Uh, I thought Vegas would be uh, another big-name kind of splash grab for a guy like Davis. Uh, I thought that it was going to be between the Raiders and the Chargers. Now it's just the Chargers. He is interviewing with the Chargers today. I I still think that there are skeletons in the closet that he doesn't want to face. I think he's gone. I think he's going to go to the Chargers. But I think to Joe's point on the question, I think it's going to be a hard fill. I mean, they're going to want to replace him with a big name. I don't think the OC is going to be a big name or the right guy that's going to be able to carry the torch. I think he'd be. I think he'd get the job. He, he's going to get the job. I just don't think he's going to have the same amount of success as is even like a DeBoer in, in, in uh, Alabama. They're saying the rumor on the Harbaugh. One of the incentives is that he can't be fired for any of the NCAA investigation. I'm just saying. I think he stays at Michigan. I think he stays at Michigan. Uh, 66-30. If C.J. Stroud leads the Texans to the AFC Championship this year, he is already the greatest quarterback in franchise history. Cash or trash? I'll cash it. Yeah, I'll cash it. Look, all signs are pointing like this is just the start of a long run. But if in year one he accomplishes and takes the team farther than they've ever been before, there and he's got more talent than any of the guys previously, no matter what we just talked about with Deshaun, uh, I think that I'll cash it. Uh, I'm cashing it already. He doesn't need a win this week. I think he's already the best quarterback in franchise history. Now, he doesn't have the resume. Like, Schaub has yards. Deshaun did it for more. Uh, I will take C.J. Stroud over Schaub. I would take C.J. Stroud over Deshaun Watson. I already think C.J. Stroud's the greatest quarterback in franchise history. So, cash. Uh, same cash for all those reasons. AR Platinum, hot take. Underdog Texans, Packers, and Buccaneers win again this week. All of them? <laughs> That's what he said. No freaking way. And I know he's a gambler. Trash. Imagine. I, I love you, AR, but that one's a little bit out there. I imagine that a parlay money line on that would pay out quite a bit. That well, Tampa looked good against high. the team that basically wanted to go fishing. But Tampa going into Detroit, that's a different story. I mean, all of them. Tampa at Detroit, Green, Green Bay, Bay at San Francisco, yeah. Houston at Baltimore. Green Bay's getting boat raced. All of them. If you said one of them, I might be, I, I might entertain it. If you think all of them, no way. 
Yeah, that's uh, I, I would be interested on what that part, that three-team parlay would play, though. Uh, just the uh, just the money line, money line. Those three underdogs, I bet you would pay quite a bit. Oh yeah, seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. I have another one if y'all don't go. Uh, the better record, not the better seed. This isn't mine. I saw this on Twitter. The better record, not the better seed, should have home foot advantage in the playoffs. Kind of like how the NBA does it. I've thought about this in the past. I was looking at when we got close, like when I was, we were thinking about where the Texans would play. I, I've always been better record guy. I understand that it means something if you win your division, but I've always felt like you reward the team that had the better record in the regular season in totality. So I, I'll cash the fact that better record should supersede better uh, division. I'm going to trash this one because I trash. still like to keep the integrity of winning a division. And if you do this, you diminish a bit the integrity of winning a division. And I don't like that. I like to make it a reward whenever you win the division. So because of that, I still think division winners should be guaranteed a top three seed, top four seed, I should say, uh, in the postseason. So because of that, I'm going to trash it. Yeah, I'm going to trash it as well. I think there's a really good argument to do it the other way. But I, I, I tend to agree with the divisions should matter for something. Like, it's so clear they don't matter in the NBA. They never have mattered in the NBA. Um, but I, I think for football, it should stay. It matters that you get in. I mean, you guarantee a playoff spot by winning your division. But I just think that if you've got two, a division where two teams just light the house on fire, the wild card team that wins 12 or 13 games gets punished uh, against the division. should have won the division. Okay. Should have won the division. But if they're taking on, say, the American League, I mean, the, uh, the, the NFC least of two years ago, and you're yeah. playing a team with a losing record or whatever, but they get the home game. <laughs> you're you're twelve and five, and you're the top <laughs> yeah, wild card, and, you, and, and you go and on you're the going road. to seven and seven or eight and nine, Tampa Bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> Ar says the money line parlay on that three team uh, money line is plus sixty five hundred. Woo! So hundred bucks would win nearly sixty five hundred dollars. Well, if plus six fifty or sixty five hundred, it would win sixty five hundred. It's a little bit under sixty five hundred, but that's a uh, that's a lot. I wonder if AR Platinum is going to play it. Are you going to play it, AR Platinum? All right, that does it for cash it or trash it. If you need proof on how much more difficult the AFC is than the NFC, look no further than this little quarterback discrepancy of who's left in both leagues. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five. My colleague, U of H class of nineteen ninety, go Kooks, has been protecting the interests of businesses for nearly twenty five years. HRP provides comprehensive human capital management services, including HR compliance, benefits administration, and payroll. HRP will also work with you to customize a plan for whatever you need. There's nothing cookie cutter about HRP. You need a little help, a lot of help, anything in between. HRP will create a plan for what you and your business needs. Also, their customer service is second to none. You'll never talk to a stranger on the other side of the line. You'll be calling someone that's familiar with you, familiar with your company. I can speak to that customer service. Anytime I have a question, always get a quick response. Always very easy to understand. Let HRP take on the demands of human resources and eliminate your HR burdens so you can get back to growing your business. Give them a call at 281-880-6525. Let HRP customize a plan for you. 281-880-6525 or check them out at hrp.net. That's HRP.
Back to the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5. The show name is a reference to how many great Astros' last name begin with the letter B, who were playing back in the 90s when they were not winning World Series. Bagwell, Biggio, Barry, Bell, and eventually Bergman. You might not remember Barry and Bell, but trust me, you remember Blank and Brenham. Here they are now, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. That's right. That's right. Spencer knows a lot. Hold to take it easy on Spence. Uh, the Texans have advanced to the division round, and this Saturday we'll have the ESPN 97.5 Texans postgame show after the Texans game versus the Ravens. Win or lose, tune into, tune into ESPN 97.5 and twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5 for our instant reaction with Mike O'Connor, Josh Beard, and Paul Gallant. Maybe it's joyous again like it was this past Saturday. Uh, he's blank on Branham, 713-780-ESPN, 713-780-3776. This um, We know the AFC is a better conference than the NFC. We've said it all along. Everybody said it, not, not us. Uh, we also know that the quarterback play in the AFC is, is better than the quarterback play in the NFC. And if you needed proof for that, how about you look at which quarterbacks are left standing in the AFC and which quarterbacks are left standing in the NFC. In the AFC, you have Lamar Jackson, who would be my MVP, Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes, C.J. Stroud. That, that's a murderer's row. Mm-hmm. That, that, that is a gauntlet, those four quarterbacks. In the NFC, it's Brock Purdy, Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield, and Jordan Love. These are, these are heavyweights versus, like, cruiserweights. It's not even close. And then when you start thinking about, well, who could you replace them with? Well, Joe Burrow, because of injury, is waiting in the wings going, hey, here, hold my beer because I'm going to be in that mix next year. And, and that's big. You know, we mentioned the fact Herbert's never done anything yet, but everybody anoints him as one of the better ones. But when you look at it, is Jalen Hurts going to recover? Is he going to be two years ago Jalen Hurts? Are we ever going to see the same Jalen Hurts again? And and, and Dak, we know what Dak is in the regular season, but is Dak ever going to be a playoff Dak that we can count on or we can believe in? There's not a whole lot to choose from in the NFC. And AFC, this is when we talked about even in draft time, like how important it is that you don't just get a franchise quarterback, but you get one of the best ones in the league because the AFC is so damn tough. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a gauntlet. Like if you, were to, if you were to put Stroud in the NFC, best quarterback, right? Like he, he, would, yeah. he would top Purdy, Goff, Mayfield, Love. Fair. Without right? question. Mahomes, he he would be the top there. He'd be he'd be better than Purdy Goff Mayfield Love. Lamar would be better than Purdy yep. Goff Mayfield Love. I'm I'm the Josh Allen hater on this show. I'm not seeing anybody in the NFC. I would I would take over Josh Allen if you were drafting these eight quarterbacks. The first four that would be taken would be the AFC quarterbacks. No question. And and you, and you know what? Joe Burrow is in that conversation next year. Joe Burrow, if yep. healthy, is be, the best quarterback in the NFC. If you throw Burrow into that eight quarterback draft, Burrow's in the top five. Justin Herbert might be the best quarterback in the NFC if he's in that mix. The only thing that I would push back on Herbert's that he that he hasn't really had the playoff success. Agreed. Hasn't won a playoff game. But if I'm going just pure talent, Herbert, Purdy, Goff, Mayfield, Love, yeah, I mean, I don't know how I'm not taking Herbert. Right. Uh, where would you take Lawrence and Purdy, Goff, Mayfield, Love? You put any of those four ahead of Lawrence? I actually – this is hard for me to say. But I well, you know what? I, I think I would put Goff and Love. Yeah, see, I was thinking. Above. Yeah, I, I would take Goff for sure. Goff and, and Love over Lawrence right now. It's hard. I, I think we're disrespecting Purdy because of those four: Purdy, Goff, Mayfield, Love. Purdy's. I mean, Purdy could be Purdy, number one. Purdy. <laughs> and I, I know that it's offense, but I mean, you talked about yesterday how Love is is the offense he's playing in yep, too. Yep. Like you, you can't. I don't think it's fair 
to ding a quarterback for being in a highly efficient offense and then be like, well, he's a product of the system. Like, he's still producing. Right, but that's that's the difficulty in, in having this exercise, too, is because if you're talking about just raw talent anywhere, any team, any time, you know that there are guys that are elite, elite on a level all by themselves. If you're talking about systematically making the be- the best out of a quarterback, then I think that you're looking at Purdy maximizing, again, that old-term game manager, but it's a Shanahan manager, right? If you can manage the Shanahan system and you realize, hey, it's not about me being a superstar per se, but he was in the MVP conversation for three quarters of the year because he did his job, and he did it really well, Mm -hmm. and he wasn't trying to win games by himself, and Jordan Love at the second half of the season did the exact same thing. Now, if you take those two guys and take them out of the Shanahan system, could they have the same kind of success? I would say I don't think so specifically about Purdy, and I would question greatly about Love. And that's where I'd say if that's part of the equation, like you said, Herbert just straight out quarterback talent, Herbert's in that discussion no matter what. I think it's I think his talent is, uh, you know, why right. why haven't they had the success? You know, maybe he's not making good decisions, things like that. How about Tua? It, it, where would Tua be in this Purdy-Goff-Mayfield-Love conversation? I think, I think Goff is better than Tua. Uh, I, I think... I think Purdy is, too. Do you? Yeah, I do. Tua's arm strength worries me. I, I just... Purdy's isn't great, either. Yeah, but, it's true. But Purdy's, like... I mean, we don't really see bad games. Like, I know Purdy's had well, one bad game against Cleveland, but Purdy didn't have the bad games that Tua's capable of having. No, that's true. And I think that the other thing is, is as much as I need to see more from Jordan Love, one thing I do know is similar, similar but not to the level of C.J., but he showed this weekend he can do that little wrist flick. He can do that little – he's got a lot of arm strength, and, and it doesn't take a whole lot for him to put the ball on the money where it needs to go in certain places. I, I think Jordan Love has a better arm than Tua. I, I, I think I'd probably take Jordan Love over Tua. Yeah, especially with the offense like that he's playing yep. in. How about uh, Deshaun? Purdy, Goff, I, I've lost Love, all Deshaun. hope in Deshaun. I, I don't think Deshaun is better than Purdy. I don't think he's better than Goff. I don't think he's better than Love. He's probably better than Baker Mayfield, yeah. and that's it. That's where I have them slotted into. Uh, 713-780-3776. Let's go out to the HRMP listener line. J-Dog's in the hive. What's up, J-Dog? Yeah, we had no choice but to talk on the Ravens this week. That's right. What do you got to say, J-Dog? Yeah. Hey, so I was just calling. Uh, I know about a month ago, um, everybody would have been saying, nobody would have predicted it happening early in the year after the Texas played the Ravens with the Texas winning the division. And CJ being as good as a quarterback he is, but I keep receipts. I called you all show on September the 15th. <laughs> Tell your producer to go to hour three, about 10 minutes and 40 seconds until hour three on that episode. And I laid all this out. And also with Lamar Jackson, I heard Joe kind of throw in a little, a little James Harden comparison a while ago or a second ago. If he wins Super Bowl MVP, and wins another unanimous MVP, and wins the Super Bowl. Can we just put that to rest? And I'm not going to, yes. you know, make yeah, any no more doubt about it. If he does that, so hey, J Dog, not going to make any more. J Dog, why does really? Lamar suck in the playoffs? Oh, uh, he really hadn't had a shot to shine other than the other two years. But you know what? I won't give the prediction about this weekend because I don't want to, you know, have, have anything, have any bad ratings on your show. But I will say I'll get the <laughs> AFC Championship game next week in Baltimore. Oh, all right, that sounds good. Appreciate you but, calling, but J Dog. You weren't. You guys weren't the number one seed in his failures of the past. Were, oh, yeah, you were. Okay, we'll see. 
That was a, I like the J Dog type receipts though. I I, uh, I appreciate that for somebody who likes to argue, I guess, and likes to have good <laughs> bullet points to argue. I like the J Dog. Currently, type Joe receipts. is not going through uh, the archives of the Killer Bees to find hour three in September for whenever yeah. J Dog called. I, I believe J Dog, and, and I feel much better about Lamar today than I did then. Like, there's no doubt. Like, yeah. I, I think I, I have Lamar as my top quarterback going into the playoffs. Uh, he's playing at that high of a level. I think he's really, really good. Now, I'm not going to ignore his playoff failures and if he has a net like j-dog said if he wins the super bowl mvp all that can can we forget it absolutely like if he does that it definitely puts all this to, to bet no doubt about it but if he goes and has a 50 percent completion percentage there's a couple of interceptions and the top team in the afc loses to the houston texans then we can magnify the Lamar Jackson playoff failure. And the James Harden comparisons. Yeah, and that was you that was comparing him to Harden. The Lamar to Harden, they've struggled in the postseason. Which yeah, it's there. legit. And, and I lived it with Harden, but you just I heard the Connor and Beard on that too. It's The fact is, you can't deny it until he can actually put it to bed. And in order to put it to bed... He's had multiple. He's had more failures than success. You pointed out his record. The fact is, you've been the one seed and and screwed up, and now you're the one seed again. Now prove everybody wrong, and everybody will change the narrative. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with the J Dog if they if he does that, it does change the narrative. But it also exists the other way around as well. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. All right, who who is the comparison for the twenty three Texans? We we talked about the, are they the twenty one Bengals yesterday? Who do you compare the twenty three Texans to? It can be any sport, any sport you want. What is your twenty three Texans comp? Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN HRP listener line seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5.